0: hello and welcome back to the schooner pod i'm your host bobby howard with me today we've got ty lee and uh ty oklahoma wins their second game of the season in a way i don't think we really saw coming um we i think before we might have thought this would be a shootout but instead ou wins a pretty gritty interesting 28 to 11 game against the smu mustangs uh this one's a weird one because it's it's not an overall you know, one hundred percent good, one hundred percent bad game. There's a lot to talk about across the board on the field. I would say off the field, but what happened off the field happened on the field. Technically, we'll get all to, to all of that later. But we want to see your comments and all of that. And if you're if you're watching with us live, first of all, thank you for uh, picking us over the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Unless you hate watching the Dallas Cowboys, in which case, uh, you're welcome, because now you don't have to watch the Cowboys. I, uh,
1: yeah, if you, if you hate the Cowboys, a bad news. All, all I know is my phone is blowing up with Boat and Blake right now, screaming about the Cowboys having done something good. So, uh, <laughs> good news oh for boy. the Cowboys.
0: Oh, 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 yeah, I just saw that text, too. That's um something some very good happened <laughs> <laughs> to the Cowboys, uh, no doubt. Uh, but if you're watching with us live make sure to hit us with a like uh, and if you haven't subscribed yet subscribe it will help our show grow so very uh would, would very much love that and if you're listening on podcast uh, you know hey thanks for joining us um and uh give us a review uh if you like the show all right, Ty, let's go ahead and get into like we, we got through all the standard, you know, kind of podcast intro theatrics. But uh, what is what are your thoughts on the game just as a whole? Um, we'll dive into the specific uh, specifics with defense and offense. But uh, what was your impression of the game uh, a day later?
1: Yeah, a day later, I almost have just a an even more confused stranger feeling about it. I feel like it just depends on your perspective. I mean, a win is a win. Um, as of the line that we picked on Wednesday on the weekend spread, it was a cover uh, depending on, you know, if you were looking at the line. So, you know, we covered, didn't cover, depending on what time of the week you looked at it. But it was a sloppy performance. But at the same time, on both sides of the ball, if you look at certain moments, uh, we performed really, really well. I was very confused. I felt like at certain points of the game offensively, I saw the team that I was expecting to see defensively, I felt like I saw the team that I was expecting to see, but there was some very questionable moments, especially on the secondary, just missed coverages. There were some very sloppy, inexcusable penalties on both sides of the ball for us. And although we held them to 11 points, they got almost 400 yards of offense. So yeah, this one, not what we expected, but again, a a win is a win. And hopefully, like we saw in this game, we can do better. We saw moments where we were much, much better than we were most of the rest of the game hopefully we see that much better team as we roll through the season because this performance for three-fourths of this game is not going to do well even against our pretty easy schedule rolling into big 12 play
0: yeah it's to me it it depends on what side of the ball you want to really look at. O- offensively, it was more of the same from what we saw last year. Inconsistent play calling and just kind of, kind of bland offense. Um, definitely not what you were used to. And you can debate whether or not that's just an OU thing because of the offensive we- offenses we've seen in the past, uh, especially the past 20 years here at OU. Um, but also defensively, the amount of strides... Um, are remarkable this was this was a team that looked a lot better than it did last year there were a lot of little coverage breaks but it was really one of those like bend don't break situations where yeah like they weren't giving up massive plays at times Uh, there were a couple here and there but when it came down to it when it came to the red zone when it came to cracking down on making sure smu didn't score OU responded well, um, so there's a lot of positives there. SMU, as we mentioned in our preview, uh, offensively very, very, you know, very solid, very good. Um, not too far off from a lot of the Big 12 offenses that OU is going to run into this year. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of good here, and let's just let's go ahead and just kind of dive into the defense a little bit um, as we get started. Um, and as we
1: dive into the defense, really yeah. adjust the hat seven in the comments. mentioned a perfect thing. SMU's quarterback, um, Stone, he had a great, great game. He's a really, really solid quarterback. Spent a year learning under Tanner Mordecai there at SMU. And yeah, like Bobby just said, this SMU team really could uh, maybe win out the rest of their schedule. The other team always has a vote in, in your games, and especially as we roll into looking at this OU defense i don't think it's at all a cop out to say this SMU team was very very good and if you look at a lot of people's pregame expectations i said maybe we could have got a shutout in this one you know maybe that was a little optimistic seeing our performance now i think we got out kind of lucky holding them to 11 but um yeah this is a, this was an SMU team that most people expected to put up at least a couple touchdowns on on OU so that bin don't break obviously they strung together some good drives but we did have a defense that really tightened up when it mattered and created some awesome turnovers uh, as well when it mattered.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And let's start with, as we kind of dive into the defense, as you can see from our little stat, you know, if you look at the raw numbers, you know, 367 yards of total offense, not exactly that impressive. If you look at OU's offense, actually pretty similar to uh, our offensive statistical input, but that you know, 11 points is, is uh, pretty, pretty strong. Only, only two scoring occasions. And I believe they didn't score a touchdown um, until the third quarter, which means that uh, third or fourth, I can't remember, but. It um, may have been
1: super early in the fourth. Uh, yeah. But it that, was, it was definitely late, late, late.
0: That would make sense because the the stat in OU's game notes was uh, the last time that OU held their opponents to no touchdowns, the amount of court, like, The last time they they took seven quarters, the opposition took seven quarters to score a touchdown was 1999. So that's pretty impressive, I will say. Um, And I think to me, the guy who, and and we usually do game balls and wait for a while, but uh, this guy won the game. Well, he kind of won the the nation's game ball of the week. Uh, Danny Stutzman against SMU, unbelievable, the linebacker out of... uh, just nuts Uh, 17 total tackles uh, five solo one sack two and a half tackles for loss and he got the Walter camp defensive player of the week award Uh, offensively it was Quinn yours so a little OU Texas split there but Stutzman all over the place as the captain of the defense just uh, completely completely uh, incredible force uh, for the Sooners Yeah, he had quite the game. It was
1: super, super exciting to see. Uh, At at moments, you know, he was out there. I almost feel like at moments it wasn't super flashy. At moments, you know, you'd look down and we'd have just sort of an SMU drive and then we'd get him off the field. And then you would notice like, oh, wow, that that defensive drive was almost entirely Danny Stutzman making the difference. It almost reminded me of one of those super classic uh, Kenneth Murray games where he just really stepped up and, and carried the entire defense as a as a linebacker. So I think that's a, a tremendous compliment, especially when it comes to an OU defensive player in recent times, to really be putting up a performance that's similar to that. And then, you know, um three, four plays, depending on how you look at it for loss as well, is
0: super, super awesome. Absolutely. Um, because he he I don't want to say he put the defense on his back quite really, but he drove it for sure. He was the driving force 1,000%. Um, and Really, that whole linebacking core was really solid. I, f- I thought Jaron Kanek had had a couple really big plays, but of course we'd be remiss not to talk about Kip Lewis, the, uh, the freshman. Incredible performance as well. Nine total tackles, four solo. Uh, the guy was completely all over the field. Um, uh, I believe I-, I think Venables referred to him as a ball hawk, and as a freshman to be that aggressive, that exciting, um, man, that, that has to be just, just thrilling as an, as an OU fan, that is thrilling to watch. That is exciting to see, um, early, you know, early year impact players makes you feel like you can change things in a hurry. And Kip Lewis to me, that, that guy put a stamp on the defense last night.
1: Yeah. You know, you bring up Kip Lewis, a couple other guys as well. It really feels like with this defense, and not to get too optimistic or too eager with this, but it really feels like defensive. It it feels like defensively, almost like you're trying to solve a puzzle. And in our our second attempt at solving the puzzle, we've thrown out the pieces, and we already know where they're going to go, right? This wasn't the the end all be all of this defense. I think this defense will improve, and I think we saw a lot of issues with this defense in this game. But I think it's very apparent what those issues are and we saw so many key players begin to emerge that as that stew as that defensive stew starts to cook a little bit and the flavors mix together a little bit better it's going to be a really delicious dish i've just done a double comparison for something there we went from puzzles like to that.
0: stew you don't mix them together but you know i i you know, as we get into the fall season, it's kind of getting to soup season. You know, that seems that seems nice. I'll do a puzzle while the, you know, stew on the counter. You know, that just sounds like a really good fall evening to me. So I'm I'm all about it. Uh, but no, yeah. I I, I got to say defensively. Um, yeah, the linebacker back back and crew just um, just gold star, gold star. Incredible work. Um, let's talk a little bit more. Uh, about the defense. I, I actually really liked the performance of the secondary. I know they had some pretty big uh, plays given up, but I feel like in a way, some of it was by design to kind of bend a little bit. I thought Key Lawrence was great uh, with, you know, seven seven total tackles, uh, six solos. He had that awesome strip that caused that fumble. Um, same with Woody Washington, six total tackles, uh, four solo. I, I thought those two guys, uh, guys who've, who, who we've seen a lot, uh, a lot of over the years, uh, both played very, very well.
1: Yeah. So on the strip, right. I think there should be a little, you know, a little annotation to go see the footnotes. That was like a 20 plus yard play on basically blown coverage that we got very, very lucky at the end on that standard, you know, try to punch it out as you tackle them. Um, and then I think Danny Stutzman dove on it. So we did get lucky there. That one was one of those, okay, it worked this time, but ideally we're never going to be in that position again. Um, but yeah, I think defensively, you know, creating two turnovers is is super tremendous. And then again, like we've touched on, that bim but don't break, this defense, if you look at the time of possession, um, SMU was able to to string together some decent drives. SMU beat us on time of possession, I think by like six minutes. Some of that also was we were putting together a lot of three and outs at at certain moments, like just classic, like boom, real quick three and outs, and then immediately giving the ball back to them. But yeah, I think bend but don't break is a a really good example. When it mattered, when it came down to whether or not SMU was going to be able to put points on the board, uh, our defense closed up and and held them. Because if you look at the stats, uh, we had 22 first downs, they had 21, and then I think they actually beat us in total yardage by uh, like two yards something less than five but if you look at most of the offensive stats uh, just as a team they were pretty in step with us but then when it mattered we were able to lock it down and to uh, make sure that they didn't convert to points and ultimately you know uh, who is it the Iowa coach friends will always say like offensive yardage is the most overrated stat or something like that like, <laughs> don't, don't count towards winning the game yeah, they let them put up seven hundred yards on us. If they don't convert any one of them into a point, that's fine. We'll still win.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Um, that, like you said, or like uh, one of the Ferens has said, you know, I, I, I'm about it, you know, because again, if they don't score, you don't you don't get an extra point for having more yards, you know. This isn't this isn't the Hogwarts like cup or whatever where you just make you know arbitrary rules out of nowhere, you know. Scoring points, that's what matters. OU did a good job of keeping them out, so uh, more uh, just just exciting stuff, to say the least. Um, let's talk a little bit about... I-, I never really know where to put the cheetah position, um, but I got to say, a guy who popped in, played a little played a little bit of cheetah, played a little bit of secondary, uh, but made an impact all the way around, uh, our guy Peyton Bowen, five-star of Din Geyer. Uh, four to- four total tackles, one solo, but he had some crucial crucial plays. Uh most notably that massive punt block uh in the first quarter, uh just coming out of nowhere. Apparently he wasn't even supposed to rush, he just had the instinct and went at it, which is incredible. I love that. Just Leroy Jenkins the thing. Uh and then he had a massive uh pass deflect towards the end of the game uh that, you know, I believe uh caused SMU to go for and out. So Ty let's let's start with that uh, that special team's play from Bowen. Uh, what are your thoughts on that and just what an, what an incredible play?
1: Yeah, well, first off, uh, before I forget, when you t- when you start to talk about an OU secondary player, OU safety, who just has that instinct and goes for it, immediately I'm thinking of of Roy Williams and the Superman play. so that's uh super super good, you know, just one of those little think way back and, and you, you hear about that. but um such a weird tangent. Uh, yeah, no, tremendous play. I think he was, if I remember correctly, one of the only a couple of players that in Venables post-game press conference, uh, Venables himself brought up and, and spoke about for a few minutes unprompted without uh, anyone asking about it. I think there were some follow-on questions about him, but one of the handful of players that Venables brought up on his own, talked about, you know, a young guy. And again, going back to my, we found the ingredients for the stew and the ingredients, maybe not, uh, or might not be mixed together perfectly right now, but we found a really, really solid ingredient here with this this defensive stew that we're cooking up. And uh, yeah, Bowen, again, seeing all those instincts and then taking those instincts and just that ability to play, that athleticism and that ability that's so crucial for someone in his position, especially, to just inherently understand where you need to put yourself because it's all about the angles. It's all about just being in the right place at the right time. And that doesn't necessarily matter or you don't have as much control over that if you're on the deep line or if you're a linebacker, but when you're starting farther back, like he is or having the ability to move all over the field, it really matters that you know ball and you have that understanding of where to put yourself. And then from there coaching and learning at this level from experience, really refines that and creates a dangerous player for opposing teams.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, as our you know colleague Jameson mentions all the time, uh, he's a guy who's so good. You have to have him on the field at all, like just wherever, he, wherever he can fit, put him on there, make it work because of those, in, because like you're saying, those instincts are so good that, you know, and that's that talent, that skill that is that is so good. You just cannot, cannot put him on the bench. And he showed to be an absolute, inv- absolutely invaluable player uh, on Saturday um look we've been we've been singing the praises of of this defense but let's kind of pivot a little bit maybe a little bit of critiques um I kind of think the weakest point might have been the defensive line I feel like they didn't have a ton of pressure in terms of really pushing SMU's line off ball they seemed a little I mean they're getting after stone but they weren't able to just get that last little push to you know get sacks to make actual you know they, they were in, in the backfield getting pressure, but they, they weren't quite doing it as much as they should have, I feel like, just given that it's SMU, probably not exactly a very big line. Um, but I will say, Rondell Bothroyd, pretty solid game with four tackle four tackles and one solo. Uh, overall, just kind of a pedestrian performance from the D-line.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure. I, I think, you know, not to constantly get in, we always get into this, but. The scheme does have something to do with it. Uh, SMU had 117 yards on the ground, but I really felt like they were never really able to establish a super credible run threat, especially not in between tackles, uh, which is always good because you never want a team to be able to just, you know, grind out five, six yards on on inside run plays. SMU certainly was unable to do that. And I, I just felt like we really contained them. I mean, you look at most of SMU's yardage, if you really look back at it, was sort of blown coverage or maybe just schematic caused. Um, SMU has, I think, a fairly decent offensive line. Again, we'll see that as their season develops, but I think their offensive line might be something that is being slept on. So I'm not 100% out on the D-line at this moment. But yeah, I, I think you could point them out. Obviously, it's a less flashy position. Maybe you could point them out as we expected a little bit more, especially against a team like SMU. But uh, you know, sometimes this early in the season, you can't really tell.
0: That's fair. I would agree with that. But um, any other points that we might not have talked about? Uh, I guess oh, I, I, I totally forgot about Justin Harrington, the other uh, cheetah there. Uh, he had a pretty solid game as well. Four so uh, four tackles overall, one solo, and a uh, interception as well. So he had a hell of a game and great instincts on his end uh, to go down instead of trying to run it in for a touchdown. uh, I got to say, by the way.
1: Yeah. And I think another thing, just as we sort of wrap up on the defense, I know we harped on a, a couple different position groups. I think this is both a good and a bad thing, but I don't know that you could say, especially from this performance and then encompassing the entire year to date. So the obviously only two games, I don't know that you can point to one player and say, this guy is a serious liability or a serious problem. And I don't know that we've had that, you know, developing week two in years past, but I think we would maybe see a little bit more symptoms. Yeah, there was some mistakes here and there. There was some blown stuff here and there, but I don't feel like, and this is kind of going off vibes here a bit, that there was one specific guy that was just constantly getting burned. And sometimes those little mistakes will happen, especially early in the season. And maybe it's a bad thing if across the board, we have little mistakes here and there, But I think generally it's a good thing because you can, you know, refine those. And as of now, we're not seeing anyone that's a super weak link in the chain that other teams can really exploit. You know, people have their little lapses in judgment here and there, missed assignments. Maybe we need to go back and study the playbooks a bit more, study tape a bit more as a team. But I think it's a good thing when you can't necessarily point out like, oh, this guy or this, you know, pair of guys or these three guys are all liabilities. I feel like everyone is... Not where they need to be, but in a very good spot for week two.
0: I'm with you. Um, there were no liabilities. Everyone was really standard, really solid. You know, you saw a couple plays where SMU tried to run a couple, you know, gimmick little gadget plays. Oh, you snuffed them out really, really well. And they were, they weren't. They were, they were very composed, very reactionary, but not overreactionary. They just filled the gaps well. Uh, that one in the round, like it, it was exactly what you want to see. And I, I feel like one of the things that Venables mentioned in his press conference after the game is he doesn't, he didn't think that this team would have won or this t- or last year's team would have won this game in that situation. They might have panicked. They might have made mistakes. They might not have made the plays that they needed to make to win. I feel like OU did that uh, in this game, especially on the defensive end. And we'll get to the offense as well. I think they did you know pretty well on that as well but um no uh, across the board just solid solid consistent play absolutely loved it um there were there was a stretch with a lot of penalties you know you can talk about the officiating all you want but uh you know let's let's be honest like you you got you got to tighten some of that up uh you know Ethan downs had a pretty pretty brutal um uh face mask you know a couple pi's that you know kind of killed a little bit of momentum there um which suck, but look, let's be honest. We're in the Big Twelve. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna get worse from here, probably.
1: Yeah, and and ultimately, I think Vinable said something of the like when it came to those penalties: is whether they're fair or not. You really can't, you can't even give them the leeway. It's, it's something you got to understand, especially as you know a, a team that we know from from the Big Twelve commissioner himself we have targets on our backs, not necessarily that they're going to incentivize making no calls or calling things against us. I think they might in fact be a little bit stricter against us than they were or will be against other teams. The the infamous holding calls against you in Texas last year, um, you know, one each <laughs> is of course comes to mind, but yeah, it, you got to watch out. I, I think there were some past coverages that I thought maybe we got away with some stuff in this game as well. I don't think it, what a one or lost us the game either way, but um, yeah, I don't know. You can't really put yourself in that position. I did feel this is a strange tangent, but watching all the games on TV yesterday, I did feel like this season, just college football as a whole, people were getting away with uh, guarding people that maybe they wouldn't in years past. Maybe just, it's early in the season. Maybe it's just coincidence or maybe it's all a conspiracy because I think the refs are out to get OU.
0: Yeah. That's
1: I, I think that's I think that's
0: fair. I think that's fair. Um okay, let let's move to game balls. Ty, I'll let you uh, start us off here. Who are you giving your game ball to?
1: I, I mean it's gotta be Danny Stutzman, right? Defensively. Just super, super solid leader on on the defense. Made plays when it mattered, didn't create a turnover, but got a turnover, you know. But knocking the ball loose is one thing, but somebody has to come up with it. Um, so that's super, super important. And then, yeah, again, anytime you're, you're creating four plays for lost yardage, that's, that's really tremendous. Doesn't sound like a lot, but that is, that is really a lot.
0: I mean, yeah, you're totally right. Just a a massive, massive game changing player, uh, for sure. Um, and look, yeah, it's probably, it's Stutzman, but to make things different, I'm going to give like the more like, uh, you know, Hey, this surprised me. Good job. Award, which is not quite a game ball it's like it's like one of those little mini foam balls that you uh get for free like the uh the little credit unions handout, you know at the tailgates uh outside of the games that type of game ball i'm gonna give to uh i'm gonna give it to kip lewis i thought he had a great performance as a freshman very bold very strong uh great effort and i think that we're gonna see a lot of this guy um in this season if it just playing regular games if he continues this type of effort so shout out kip lewis that's my uh tiny foam football uh game ball of the week uh real game ball goes to Stutzman, yeah. though that just it, an undeniable performance
1: and i i would really like to see some big plays from from kip lewis especially i feel like a a name that as a whole like just a Kip, like a three-syllable name, just very, very good for like super cool calls too from, from playcasters. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I want to hear a, a big Gus Johnson just come up with a random nickname for him like he does that that sticks. Like, I don't know. I can't do it like Gus can. I'm not even going to come up with uh, suggestions. I was going to say like Kip the Skip or something. I don't know.
0: So. Kill a Kip? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's that, that's probably too too redundant. People have I don't know. We'll see. How, we'll, we'll Gus, Gus will do it. Gus will do. It. Gus will Gus do it. Work. Let Gus work. Let Gus cook. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know nothing about that. So gotta let Hollywood Brown didn't even have that nickname until Gus gave him to it. Gave him that, and like that's how good Gus is. Like Gus Cook. So all right, let's pivot on to uh, the offense. Uh, a much grumpier uh, segment of the show, uh, to say the least. Um, and look, I. I was probably too 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 hard on the offensive play calling, just the offense as a whole yesterday in the stands. Uh, I think the fans probably were a little bit. Uh, they 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 booed at one point in the third quarter, even though we were winning, which is a lot. But you know it's Oklahoma; that's the standard. Um, but overall, once you look at the whole body of the game, they figured it out at the end. Uh, four touchdowns, um, 365 yards, uh, zero turnovers. Um, and then they're pretty solid on third and fourth down, fourth, fourth downs, uh nine for eighteen on those, which is something that is an absolute improvement over pre- uh last year, which that was not not good at all. Um, so look, we're we're gonna talk about the levy thing, but I kind of want to we we kind of want to get into the we want to get in the players first because yeah, there was that was crap. We'll talk about the play calling, it was crap at times. But I'm not going to let that overshadow this game. Uh, that 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 that's not worthy of it. Um, so let's dive into it. Uh, get right to our quarterback here, uh, Dylan Gabriel against SMU threw for all four touchdowns, uh, 176 yards through the air, uh, 19 for 27 completion and um, completions per att- uh, and attempts. Uh, and then he had a 71.4 QBR. And then in addition to that, he was the highest rated um, sooner in uh pff's rankings so um overall i don't think issues with the offense fell in gabriel he i mean he wasn't i don't think he was like atrocious bad or i don't think he was even bad he was just kind of dylan gabriel it was a standard gabriel game he did what he needed to do i think a lot of the issues kind of came from from some drops you know uh, I mean, you and I both played football at, at very small, l- lower levels than, uh, obviously, uh, college. But you know that when the ball goes in your hands, you have to catch it. And I, I don't I, think that's on Gabriel's uh, – mm-hmm. I don't think that's on Gabriel's ledger.
1: Yeah, I I don't know, Bobby. I think on your end, I think Heritage Hall Middle School football maybe could have beat last year's OU team. So uh, <laughs> don't be down on yourself too much. But, yeah, I, I think – here's how I'm thinking about – Gabriel, I'm not saying everyone has I'm not, I don't would never, oh, you should think this way. I'm an expert. I'm on a podcast. but I, I've been thinking about Gabriel in a manner that's really helped me understand and just come to peace with this. And I, what I have been doing this season is I'm just comparing him to last year. And when I look at last year's Gabriel and this year, he is better. I think he's noticeably better. Uh, I'm not really expecting to see a whole lot more out of him when it comes to accuracy. and uh, and range and power. I I think he's fully developed in those areas. Is there something to be desired in all of those? I think yes, but I I mean, I think you're beating a dead horse at this point saying he needs to get more accurate. It's not going to happen. He's fully developed there. I'm really, I still feel like in this game, his decision-making, looking at it in terms of amount of time it took for him to make a decision and then amount of times he made what you can look back in hindsight and say was the right decision for that play. I think it's significantly better than last year. He's making decisions faster. He's making decisions at all, which was an issue sometimes last year. He's going through, you know, everything else. I think a lot of the Gabriel issues, I think we've seen that Drake Stoops is very a healthy. Drake Stoops is very, very crucial to this OU uh, passing game. And then uh, he just doesn't have a rhythm developed with his guys. Yet. He he doesn't have you know that that timing he was throwing to a lot of people he's never thrown to before. Um even in this game and it's just really we're trying to find out especially with Stoops who played but clearly was not 100% find someone who can really step in as that RB2. Even if Stoops is not going to be 100%, I think Stoops is RB1, you need that RB2. You know, Gavin Freeman, I think a lot of people thought he had a bad game. I thought he had a fairly Gavin Freeman game. He, if you look back at him, he's always played kind of how he is. And I think when I look at Gabriel, cause we'll get into the receivers a little bit more in depth, I'm just seeing a, a quarterback who doesn't really have chemistry with most of his receivers out there who is a good quarterback, but he's not amazing. You have to keep in perspective, you know, OU quarterbacks of, of the past times. And I think if you put realistic expectations on him, yeah, there were some, some passes that were just complete drops. There were some incompletions that maybe there was confusion from the receivers on what route they should be running. But at the same time, like he threw some passes that, you know, even if the receiver ran the wrong route, he had time to look and see that there was literally no one there. And he just still went robot mode. and was like, Oh, I must throw ball to this space in like you know the air on this play and there was no like critical thinking there even when he was not under pressure that I think that happened twice but still it's weird that it happened two times and then there were a fair amount of passes I think that were behind and underthrown I saw someone touching on like deep balls but again it's you just have to know from him that you're not going to get a whole lot of power you're going to get stuff that's being thrown behind And and low and you just have to kind of adapt to that. I'm saving play calling for later. I think that was the bigger issue, but I think Gabriel is fully developed and I think he's good enough to win us a lot of games.
0: And I think and I'm not trying to get into maybe we do get into it. Let's just but the play calling didn't really allow him to get into rhythm. I felt like there were too many times where. And, of course, the drops didn't help, but there are too many times where we just kind of go with these boring little, you know, boring runs, boring runs. And then, you know, the introduction of, you know, Jackson Arnold at times in that dumb little belldozer package. I don't think that helped him out very much. It's really dumb uh, because everyone knows what the hell is going to happen. Pretty much every single time Jackson Arnold trots out there, it just throws off the rhythm entirely. It didn't work. Um. But overall, just the play calling didn't help him get in a rhythm. Um, and I will say, we want to talk about the wide receivers a little bit. I I wonder if he is a little limited in what he can do. I, I know some of it is, you know, SMU is playing super soft coverage to prevent, you know, big plays. We didn't see pretty much any long balls out of Gabriel. But, you know, if, if you look at it, how much can Andrew Anthony and Jalil Farouk, you know, be the big receivers because you know you have the stoops is the freemans who can get you the small you know yard type of plays uh as well as backs who are pretty great receiving backs uh but it just doesn't feel like we have we don't have a mims we don't have a home run ball type of guy we don't we don't have a big wide receiver type of guy which mm-hmm. um it was a bummer because we I, I mean i i don't know what what do you think ty i so
1: This gets into like fringe tie takes and conspiracies. I Just my thinking is that if we had a big deep ball threat guy, it would actually put us in more trouble than it would help us because I think we would try to use it too much when we just don't. And again, I'm not trying to do a bit, but we don't really have a quarterback who can consistently threaten people deep like that. Um, so I think it maybe would hurt us if there was that temptation to try to make those plays here and there when it is going to be something that is much more likely to result in a turnover if you have someone that um, you know maybe has a little difficulty with the deep balls and again I think he's good I'm not trying to dog on on Dylan Gabriel I really I think just the receiver room has got to pay attention. Someone's got to step up because you, you can't have those plays where there's confusion about what route you need to run or something like that. You have to have those people who can make separation, who can make people miss. And I think one thing, and again, this bleeds over into play calling, but if you look at the receiving, I mean, uh Tavi Walker and Marcus Major are right up there. Um, they're really not far off Farouk, even when it comes to stats. Major arguably uh, more because Major had, had two receiving touchdowns. One that obviously got taken back because of an egregious, you know, lineman downfield that didn't help. That you know, I'm not saying oh it was a BS penalty, but the lineman being downfield did not help us at all in that play. Right. And I'm addressing that because Marcus Major legitimately on a receiving route for him as a running back got two touchdown passes. He created open space, caught the pass. Brought it into the end zone twice. One of those got taken back, but he did it twice. That did not occur with with other receivers. And, you know, that's good. We want to see people step up in the running back room, which we're about to get into. But, yeah, the receivers, you could tell. I mean, Stoops had a a very uncharacteristic drop that I think was not Gabriel's fault. Uh, But, again, Stoops clearly was not 100% in this game. Uh, I I guess he got targeted three times, two receptions, and then one really, really bad. Um, in completion. And then Andrew Anthony, you know, I think his first target, he also dropped and it was a fairly decent pass, if yep. I remember correctly. Obviously, we went right back to him, converted to a first down, and he had a, you know, a really good game, scored a touchdown, and for this game, looked to be our firm our uh, WR1. Um, so I don't know. I think. My hope, and I touched on this in Gabriel, is that Gabriel and Andrew Anthony can really develop chemistry because I feel like there's maybe more potential there than there is with Farouk. So I, I think we'll see him step up as our, as our WR2, um, and then hopefully as Drake continues to heal, this running back, or this receiver room can really form together. And although we're not going to present that super deep breakaway speed, I think we can have a pretty dangerous receiver room as the season develops.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think Anthony is, you know, that standard WR1 type of guy. Um, he got he obviously got the ball a lot, you know. They they were looking for him a bit. That touchdown he had, I thought was great. Uh Farouk, good to see him get get some burn after having zero receptions last week. Uh his touchdown was awesome, by the way. That um just just tough, hard nose, you know, great running. Love to see that out of Farouk. I thought I thought he he did wonderful, but at the same time you have to be. I'm looking at this where if you if you look back to last week's show, we talked so much about Nick Anderson, Jaquez Pedele, and Jaden Gibson, like how oh this is fun, this is fresh, it's working, and they completely mm-hmm. vanished in this game. They didn't really register at all. And it, in Jaden Gibson's case, when we were talking about size, you know that's a guy who I think could be that type of guy. So it was a little a little bit of a bummer not to see them step up and you know really make a make an appearance but you know that's just kind of how these games are but yeah um, and we we do need that
1: depth uh, as we as we start of you know start to cap it off on on the receivers to use a basketball analogy you know uh, the receiver room is one of those rooms where you need those people those come off the bench players you know you need those people to to come in for a few minutes here and there or a few drives here and there while your main guys, even in a close game, to get some reps in. I feel like that's a, a role that Farouk really could step into as he continues to develop. I just don't, you know, not to not to dog on him, but this is his third year at OU. This is his second year. He, he had a lot of playtime last year with Dylan Gabriel, so there shouldn't be those sort of timing issues and, and just lack of, of chemistry there. Uh, between, he should have been able to step up as, as a very, very solid you know WR1 in this game when Stoops is not 100% healthy, and I just didn't see that in this, um, which is why I'm being a little more down on him than Andrew L. Anthony, who obviously this is his first year at, at OU, and you know I'm going to give him a little bit more of a benefit of, of the doubt. So, yeah, when it comes to that receiver room, we want to see that depth like we saw last week, and, and like you said, Bobby, you were talking about like, oh, Anyone can do it. We can have that plug and play. We can have those people off the bench that might not be at the exact same level where our, our main guys are, but they're still out there. And if someone sleeps on them, they're going to get a touchdown or they're going to get a big play. Although we had some of those in this game, I just didn't feel like the threat was really present the entire time.
0: Yeah. No, I would I, agree with that. I'd agree with that. Um, okay. Let's talk about um, someone who I thought was a, a real threat and who I thought was a very, very solid uh performer. Ta- that would be Tawi Walker. Uh, that whole running back room was look, Major had 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 big plays. If you look at his stat line, not obviously flashy by any means, but Ta- Tawi Walker, oh my gosh, that guy had himself a game. Uh 117 rushing yards on 21 carries, uh 5.6 five 5. yards per carry, and then uh through the passing game he uh also added a little twenty five yards on three receptions not 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 bad nice little you know nice little uh you know, if we're talking about we we talk I, I can't remember what uh show we talked about it on, but this is like you know the 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 fries you find at the bottom of your bag that's the reception yards for Tawi Walker um I think that guy and it, I think this was probably one of the things uh play calling wise that worked is the adjustment to run Tawi Walker more. Um, cause I feel like there were times that they were putting major in a little bit too much when it was clear that Walker had the hot hand, he was rolling. Great. Um, get it, getting him back on the field, more grinding him out to, to you know, 21 carries. He, he had himself a hell of a game. Didn't get in the end zone, but that is some really good production right there.
1: Yeah. Here, here's what I think. Look, I can't pull back anymore. I understand SMU, not necessarily a defensive powerhouse, but, I think when it comes to the running back room in this game, it sure seemed to me like play calling was in fact the big issue because what I saw in this game was really, 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 really good running back play from both Marcus major and Tawi Walker when they were used in the situations and plays that they should be used in. Obviously you're always going to have those plays, where you're trying to reset yourself, you know, closer to the center hash, or you're trying to grind out, you know, just yards up the middle. Like you're always going to have those plays that just aren't going to result in big highlight reels. But I felt like what I saw out of this game was Toby Walker really step up as an RB1 in a situation that was much more challenging offensively than last week. And I felt like I saw Marcus Major step up as a very, very solid situational guy. could keep the ball secure, at least for now, you know, again, not going to read into SMU and and Arkansas State too much, but I saw two guys that really, really could fit their roles when they were employed correctly. You're not going to be able to do that all the time. But like you said, Bobby, there were a lot of moments where Walker was really, you know, had a stride going and then, you know, maybe has some endurance issues. There's obviously a lot of stuff that we just don't see um, from the fans point of view, but it did seem like there were some coaching decisions that just weren't correct. And it almost felt like to me, it was just dumb luck when we just happened to employ the right guy in the right situation. And then we saw how well they could perform. So, you know, who knows I, that that can maybe be a controversial take. Maybe I'm excusing the players, you know, I'm trying to pin on, on someone else, but I really felt like my takeaway on the running back side was that we're actually pretty set when it comes to the running backs. We're just not using them correctly.
0: Yeah, I think you're right because, like, like you said, we we have good. Major did have a solid performance in those moments. You're right, and you know, um, Gavin Sawchuk made made a couple appearances as well as uh, you know Javante Barnes, and you know they were they were fine. But you know, once he, once you figure out what to do, you know when to run the right guys at the right time, yeah, you know, that's that's I, I'm not worried about their their quality perhaps, but mm-hmm. it's more just, you know, ride the hot hand because there'll be times Tommy Walker probably isn't running as good as, you know, a Javante Barnes or Gavin Sachuk Soch- or a Marcus Major. Just, you know, just roll with what works. So, um, you know what, uh, have we, what what else, what, is, what else is there to talk about? I feel like we got the receivers, got the quarterback. I thought the line put up a solid performance, you know, nothing too bad there. Um, you know, just very, very standard stuff um you know only you know only three tackles for loss allowed uh one sack not not that's not bad um any other points on the offense before we start handing out game balls
1: yeah I, you know um the the longtime viewers and listeners will know that uh jameson who is out for work uh, requirements right now is, is generally our line expert so we'll have more line analysis when he was back but yeah i, I don't think there was Really anything to, to hit on majorly uh, when it came to the line. We were able to establish a, a decent enough run. Uh, we had some some good run plays like we talked about, and I didn't feel like Dylan Gabriel was all too pressured if you look at the game as a whole. Obviously, there were some drives here and there where SMU dialed up the right stuff. But yeah, I think, I think the O-line performed where we would expect them realistically and where we would need them to perform at week two and uh, yeah, continue to, to sharpen that that blade kind of like the defense, you know, it might not be the dish that we're, we're wanting to cook, but I think we found the ingredients and we're just letting them
0: simmer a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I gotta say a little note before we hand out game balls, your guy, Blake Smith caught a touchdown. Good stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Before right. As time. yes, this is true. Right. As Jameson was talking some sort of crap in the text, I forget what it was, but he yeah, was <laughs> able to get him back Incredible. shortly with, they told me that we would not be seeing tight end play very often, but we got another one fourth of our touchdowns in this game were from the tight ends. So I don't know. Also uh, on tight ends first reception from uh, from Cal, which if you watched on TV, they were uh, remarking, the announcers were remarking that he has not got a reception yet on the very play that he got a reception. So that was kind of funny coincidence.
0: Love that. <laughs> like a reverse sure.
1: announcer's curse. I think it was yeah. like negative one yards, but got a reception. He still got. It was either it, positive or negative one. It was not. Yeah, it was rather insignificant. Yeah.
0: It was one. Yeah, and it did not affect much. But uh, <laughs> good stuff. All right, uh, let's give out game balls. I'll just go ahead and just rip off the bandaid. I got t- Tawee Walker uh, for all of the reasons I said very, very recently. Um, the guy was an absolute workhorse, and when things weren't going great in the offense, he was a shining, consistent um, back that really, you know, once he, once, oh, once Levy and the uh, the offense started putting him in, running him over and over again, like really utilizing him perfectly. That's what changed everything. Uh, he was able to grind down the SMU defense and really open things up for the OU offense uh, as they figured things out in the fourth quarter. Who do you got, Ty?
1: Yeah, so this is not necessarily how the game balls work, but I, I'm thinking of my game ball as an investment game ball. I'm trying to get in early and uh, invest while maybe not everyone is invested in this guy and uh, give him a vote of confidence and, and hope that he develops into what I think he can be. So I'm going to go ahead and you know kind of kind of maybe controversial this game, but laid out my criteria. I'm going to go ahead and give it to Andrew L. Anthony. I feel like I could see him step up as a firm WR1 even later on in the season. I liked what I saw from him, especially, you know, like we talked about, first target was a drop, got right back up, got a really good reception after that. And I felt like he was putting in the work all game. I, I felt like I saw glimpses of early CD before CD was a star. And I would come on the podcast and tell you guys, like, I think he's going to be great because I see him going all out on like random run plays and all the other receivers are kind of jogging and he's out there blocking and he seems to always be going out. I felt like I saw a lot of hustle, a lot of just putting in the work from Andrew Anthony. I think that's going to pay off as the chemistry develops.
0: I like it. That's a good pick because Anthony, Anthony was, was really, really solid Um, showed up in moments that mattered. So I like that. Um, All right, let's, let's go ahead and talk about it. Uh, Jeff Levy's play calling, obviously, up and down, not great, but uh definitely the worst thing that happened after the ball game. And you know, we don't like to dive into you know some of this stuff, but this is inextricably, we gotta talk about it. Uh, after the game, Levy, who is uh the, the um uh son-in-law of Art Bryles, brings him onto the field, they're photographed afterwards. Um, you know, Bryles in attendance, you know, with the Leby family, um, wearing an OU shirt and let's just say social media was furious as a lot of, as you, as as I think a lot of people are warranted to be because that everything that we're not going to, we're not here to rehash everything that happened with Baylor. Lots documented on that. Everything that Bryles was in charge of at Baylor was abhorrent. And I think we all agree that he's someone who shouldn't really be involved in the leadership of men at all. He's lost that right. Um, And, you know, Brent Venables said he hadn't heard about it, but they but they dealt it dealt with it. Levy came back, kind of snapped back at uh, at reporters, um, saying that you know he's our, he, he's the grandfather of my sons and all this. And then Joe Castiglione said, you know, he didn't know about it, extremely disappointed, and that you know it was it was a situation that he didn't see happening because of conversations before they hired Levy uh, back in December of 2021. So he here's the thing. And I, I'm just tie ability talk here, but I I get, I get that he's related to you. I get that he's your father-in-law. That's fine. And yeah, I'd be mad, I'd be a little annoyed if he was wearing an OU shirt sitting in a suite. That'd be annoying. I don't like that. I don't like Art Briles anywhere around my program. It's, it's disgusting. It's gross. It's whatever. There are times to have family meetups, but as a professional, as a representative of the university of Oklahoma, and as, as an employee that has agreed to not do this, you cannot do that. You cannot let Art Briles at all on that field. That is genuinely so frustrating and so upsetting for everyone that's in Oklahoma Sooner, uh, either an alumnus, a, a, a forward player, a fan, anyone who wears it is proud to be an OU, it, to, to be associated with OU. Art Briles is someone you do not want in your family, in your circle, at all. Um, and I, I get second chances, I get forgiveness, but at the end of the day, there are just some things you just can't, you just can't allow. Um, and it's not like it's not like he's being banned. He's, be, I, I'm not supporting throwing him, throwing him behind bars or anything. Or like, you know, he can't go to the games, can't buy an OU shirt, whatever. That that that's whatever. He has a right to do that the university of oklahoma could not allow him anywhere on that field from not at all um and i'm sorry jeff but that's just a part of it when you took this job when you take any job you got lucky that you aren't blackballed from the sport so maybe just understand that you know the grandfather of your kids you know doesn't you know, doesn't have the right to be on the field because of what he did, because he is Art Bryles, because of everything that follows him around for the rest of his life. And he has the right to do a lot of things in life, but that is something that is an inherent right that he does not have. Um, Ty, what are your thoughts on this garbage?
1: Yeah, the, the ultimate issue, I think, because, it you know, I've seen opinions either way. There have been people that think it's not a big issue and it's being blown up and it shouldn't be. There's people that you know, believe it to be a, a pretty significant issue. And obviously there's a lot of people in between. I think there's there's two very important things, really, when I think about the situation. The first is, yes, he was a guest of Jeff Levy's, but Jeff Levy is an employee of the University of Oklahoma, and he was working. And it was, for him, a work event. By being a University of Oklahoma event and being invited by a University of Oklahoma employee as their guest, it is inherently an invitation by the university. You have to understand that it's not your decision, no matter who you are. And, and you know, people some people have gotten into to Jeff Levy's past, and you know, there have been some other incidents unrelated even to the Baylor thing, where he's just felt like he's above the the rules or or can sort of interpret certain rules or policies or whatever, as, as he sees fit, you have to understand that it's not about you. It's not about your decision, whether it's right or wrong, whether you think he should or shouldn't have been there. Ultimately, I don't think it was his decision to, to make it's you're there in an official capacity and you're inviting guests on behalf of the university. It's not your decision to decide whether or not it's right or wrong. Obviously you have to have that, that level of professionalism and, and ability to make decisions to make the right decision, but ultimately it's not you. You're you're representing Oklahoma, the university, the state, you know, the program. No one was upset really, um, these past this past day or so that he's related to Art Riles. Everyone's upset that he gave him an OU shirt and then invited him to the sidelines at a no you game. And then I think the second very telling thing is we know because Levy himself posted the evidence that Art Bryles was there for the pregame as well. And then we've seen, you know, photographs of him immediately after the game out there standing with Levy and Dylan Gabriel while SMU players were still on the field in the immediate post game. And then obviously we saw that first picture that came out that was later on in the post game. And when Levy was asked about it, he said that Art Bryles only came on the field after the game and then corrected himself and said well after the game, which to me sounds like, you know, if you're a, a little child, like a little child gets caught in a lie and or you know doing something wrong and they know they can't get out of it and they do that sort of admit to a lesser wrong thing and hope you don't look into it more. He was there the entire time. We know that, we have photographs of the whole thing. I, I just don't see, like he knows he did something wrong. I think you can read into that by saying, if he didn't think it was wrong, he wouldn't have felt the need to, you know, just sort of quantify when he was there and then lie. about. So, yeah, I, I don't know what should or shouldn't happen. Obviously, people are aware of it. I think that there should be some sort of action, but, you know, it's it's in the hands of people who it's their job to take care of this stuff. Ultimately, no matter how you feel about it, I think it's made the university not look good in the public light and that's not, a, that's not a good thing. And you have to make stands on principle things. Football cannot be held above the reputation of the university and the safety and, and comfort level of the students and the people actually affiliated to the school. If someone who has no affiliation to OU whatsoever, if their presence at games is going to make people uncomfortable or feel unsafe, shouldn't be there. Like if it were up to me, right? No one associated with any other program would be invited on our like i would ban rg3 from ou period if i could or anyone at tcu like but you know you have to have a stand on, on principles
0: yeah no I, I mean absolutely um yeah it just it just it just can't happen and you know from what you hear a lot of a lot of uh you, you have to imagine people aren't happy with it obviously Castiglione isn't obviously um I, you would have to imagine there are some donors who are furious about this, and we'll see how it goes. But I, I don't think it's it's cause to. I don't think it it itself isn't inherently cause to fire him or to uh, relieve him of his duties. I don't I don't think that quite is the case right now. But in terms of is this the guy you want in your program? You know, somebody who is. Has been known to be an Art Briles apologist. Was was behind this a lot of the CAB hashtag Coach Art Briles shirts, and just doesn't get it overall what happened and what he did. and cannot separate that from his own family. I just don't know what to tell you. Um, I don't know what to tell you. And, and I'm, we're not saying. And I'm not saying that the man can't have a relationship with his with his father in law, but don't bring him on the damn field. Um, I, I think just boneheaded.
1: Yeah. I think there's one very important thing that that transcends this. It, it goes into a lot of other issues in um, college football, but I have seen some people, you know, bringing up the, the talking point, so to speak that, Oh, we should get rid of uh, Jeff Levy now because he did this and he makes bad play calls. And, you know, I've seen some people saying, Oh, he makes bad play calls. This is our excuse to get rid of him. Ultimately, what you can never do in this situation is say, or even, you know, bring up the the standard that this would be handled differently. You know, whatever the issue is, it cannot be handled any differently if someone is good at their job in football or bad at their job in football. I mean, ultimately, that was kind of the Art Bryles issue in the first place was these people are good at football. Let's hold them to a different standard. Let's not get them in trouble. And then it creates... At Baylor, the discussion can't be he's bad at play calling, which I think he is. Therefore, we should try to get him on anything that we possibly can, because, again, the inverse of that is someone's good at football or good at play calling. Therefore, they should be above the rules that just can't happen. Um, That's kind of, you know, full circle the the cause of this entire issue. But, yeah, the talking point should not be, you know, let's dog on him because he's bad. Like those are two separate things.
0: Agreed. I, I I uh certainly agree with that but um yeah we'll uh obviously keep in touch with all of this as the situation progresses but uh yeah just a a gnarly moment for the University of Oklahoma not great stuff uh, no matter how you cut it it's it's uh certainly removes any some it, it, it puts a damper on some good vibes so um let's move on because there is a football game this week ty uh and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people out there will keep ha keep this, this levy thing ain't going to go away anytime soon. That's fine. Uh we'll see how it goes. But let's let's talk about some football. And the Oklahoma Sooners are headed to uh Tulsa for the first time in nine seasons. Um basically a home game. This one's a sellout, and um, in a lot of ways, it's it's gonna feel like a, a bit of a family reunion, uh, because they're facing the new head coach of the Texas or Texas, the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, uh, Kevin Wilson, who uh spent a long stint at OU. Uh, he was there from 2002 to 2010 and uh served several years as the offensive coordinator. Uh, he was the offensive mind in charge of that just electric 2008 Sam Bradford uh, team. Uh, some really great offensive work happened under Wilson. So, exciting to see this again. A little bit of a you know coordinator battle because him and Brent obviously worked together uh, during that time frame. So, what are you thinking going into this game?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a very, very good game. For I, I love when the programs within the state play each other, I think it's really, really solid for OU. Again, obviously, it's right down the road, these recruits have no problem visiting uh, OU, but it, it's really solid to see us play in a city where I think we should do some more recruiting, especially when. Or I think in the future, the choice between, you know, an in-state school, the choice between OU, OSU, unless they're a Tulsa in there because of this week, is going to be three very different choices. You know, I would always argue that OU would be a cut above Oklahoma State, but, you know, there was a time where, hey, I'm playing in Oklahoma, the state that I'm from, I am playing in the same conference. You know, is there a whole lot of difference? Maybe I can be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Now it's a completely different choice you know, between the in-state school. So it's, it's always really good to see us play. I think it helps Tulsa out, you know, a little bit, get them on TV and and everything else. So I think it's super exciting. I think it's really exciting, obviously tremendous OU fan base in Tulsa that gets to go to a game, you know, 20 minutes from their house and then go back home instead of that long turnpike ride or thinking about staying with a friend or a hotel or something. So yeah, I I think it's super, super awesome to go and play up in Tulsa every time we get a chance. And, um, some people are saying it's going to be bad football, but I'm excited to, to watch.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it'll be a fun game for sure. You know, Wilson is the type of guy who can dial up some offense to make things a little spicy, but, you know, just doesn't really have the horses right now. Uh, but overall, Tulsa is a program to me that is is very important to the state. You know, no, there isn't a, uh, outside of OU and Oklahoma State, you know, there isn't that, you know, kind of lower level team outside of Tulsa. So uh, them being a pretty solid base and bring in, in on a smaller degree, uh, fans from all around that city, OU, Oklahoma State, uh, Arkansas, Kansas, you know, and be like everybody's kind of second team. I think that that's that would be uh truly cool if they could do that. Um, but overall, not a lot of thoughts on the game itself. Uh, is coming off of a pretty bad beatdown at Washington. Uh, so fresh off the heels of that, but before the game we do have a thing to talk about sean kingston is performing before the game that's it at 1 p.m uh, if you do not know who he is you well you're either way too young or or a little old but for people like our age it makes a lot of sense yeah uh, sing such songs as uh, fire burning um you're too beautiful don't look at the lyrics that one didn't age well and uh, Eeny uh not sure if Justin Bieber will make an appearance at this one. My bet would be probably no. Uh, odds are low on that one. But uh, Ty, what are your thoughts on on Tulsa bringing up Sean Kingston for their pregame concert?
1: Yeah, I I think it's. I mean, it's kind of hilarious. It was one of those, like you said, it, it's such a he had such a moment of just very specific pop culture music for like two years when uh, you and I were in, it must've been like early, early middle school. So yeah. it's, if you weren't, if you weren't, you know, around that age, you're, yeah, like you said, you're either too young or too old. I think most everyone our age kind of forgot it was like Sean Kingston is that I took him for another artist. And then, remembered uh i don't know I, I think it's fun right like overall I, I love the way that college football is going because this is a a weird attempt at you know bringing some sort of artist up but uh this is sort of becoming more of a norm in college football and i think that's good for the fans i think it's good for the sport to lean into that entertainment product a little bit. It, you can never, you know, is it weird, is it not weird, is it just funny? You know, I, I don't think it makes anything worse in any way. I think, you know, the more options that fans can have pre-game, I think if you're incentivizing more people to show up, maybe show up to some tailgates, do some tailgating, go to a little concert or whatever, increasing the the fan experience, just increasing the amount of inter- entertainment, I think only helps. It only helps draw people to the games and I really think that's the positive side of the new norm of college football is schools are really getting incentivized to really push fan engagement and entertainment. There's been an arms rush for forever in locker rooms and recruiting. Obviously, that's getting worse. There's always been you know a little bit of an arms rush when it comes to you know stadiums and stuff like that. But the general fan experience really hasn't changed much in a long, long time. And, and I think moving to a norm where it's the norm to have, you know, some sort of concert or pregame entertainment inside the stadium before the event, I think that's a good thing. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see, um, as things develop, I think another school this next week also has someone like completely random, like, I think someone has like Randy Orton, like the WWE stars just coming and I don't know. I assume he's not singing, doing something i might just i may have just created that in my head but someone else has a really weird pregame this next week as well uh just off the top of my head. But yeah i think it's very interesting
0: i pressed the wrong button on my headphone and Freebird started playing i'm really sorry i i i, I kid you not i have no idea how you, you can see you can see the look on my face i swear, i swear um but no i randy bringing randy orton on just to be randy orton that's kind of hilarious um, I think I made that was. up. I don't think it's Randy Orton, but it was someone like that. It's still funny. I, I'm going to stick with it because that it sounds it sounds incredible and also like something that, I don't know, like Miami of Ohio would do. Um, but no, it's I think it's all about creating a positive experience for a lot of fans. But I think specifically that Venn diagram of oh, OU fans that live in Tulsa that are like, hey, this Tulsa game is really fun. I should go to more of these. And then you go to more of them you know, make that experience cool, make it worthwhile. Um, yeah. And, you know, hopefully in the future, Tulsa going to be your second team. So that'd be pretty cool. Now I do want to kind of end this little Tulsa preview out with one thing. So Ty, uh, you've, I know we, you have spent some time in the city of Tulsa, as we all know. Um, and, you know, as, as somebody who kind of hasn't uh, just hasn't gone down there for a lot of things, mm. you know, I want to know the lake is a little Tulsa. bit more Grand Lake is Tulsa. It's not Grand Lake. Is it Tulsa? You go, you go by it. I just know the casino and that one little corner where there's a really good quick trip and a waffle house across from it. And also an Arby's. I feel like there are a lot of Arby's in Tulsa and I don't know why. That um, hmm. I, I could be wrong on that, but no, um, that could
1: be true. The only place I've
0: ever had Arby's is Tulsa.
1: And checks out. Really oh,
0: huh. But um, yeah, tell tell us a little bit about you know your favorite things in Tulsa. Your just thoughts on the city as a whole uh, for Sooner fans uh, making making their trip up to T town.
1: I don't know. I think a, there's probably a lot of people listening to this just from Tulsa, so I don't I don't know if I'm the right spokesperson. Fair. I think there's good food. It's definitely different than Oklahoma City. I think it, it'll be interesting. I think it's a good drive. I always enjoy the drive. It's very easy, obviously coming from Oklahoma City or Norman, but uh, Get out, enjoy the city. If you're up there, there's you know nothing wrong that you can do. There's a neat little downtown, lots of lots of good lots of good food for sure, and uh, plenty of places to stay. I suppose the casino yeah, up there is really cool. Like you mentioned, it's it's a little bit nicer than Riverwind, uh, just a little bit. And uh, there's a margaritaville up there, so you can go up to the casino and get a margarita in memory of Jimmy.
0: Yeah, you can pay your respects. You know, so uh, that's never never not a positive but um yeah play a play of you know cool bars restaurants i know uh, uh, american solera is a massive one up there as well uh they got a little cool little area there with a couple breweries uh if you're into the cr- whole craft beer scene um yeah plenty of cool stuff so you know go ahead and enjoy tulsa i know i will i'm, I'm super excited about it and uh excited for sean kingston to say the least i Actually, mildly excited for Sean Kingston. I think it's more of an ironic excitement. Once I get there, I'm going to be like, I don't know any of this music outside. Just play Eeny, Eeny Meeny or one of the three songs I know and get let's get on with the day. But um, I don't know. He, I, the yeah. man's probably been making music for the past 15 years. I don't care about that catalog. I would. I want to see the memes. I was going to say, it, this is both a, a joke and not
1: a joke. Not to dog on other creators. Bobby, I know you're going to think this is hilarious. Someone, Hopefully someone listening will get the joke too. But I I was thinking about Sean Kingston and I just have this thought that somewhere out there, there must be like someone who is like both a Tulsa and OU grad. Like maybe they went to Tulsa for undergrad and then OU for grad school. And then they're also just a massive Sean Kingston fan. And they're just absolutely just ecstatic at the thought of both of their favorite schools playing and then there are also being a sean kingston concert and i can't help but to think that maybe that's rj young
0: i i know two of the three things are true i am not sure about the third thing <laughs> i don't know rj young enough to know the third but i know he'd like to he, think he was... he's
1: excited either way
0: yeah he, he... we'll investigate I, I, we'll investigate i don't know if we want to investigate I don't know if I want to get in with that, but yeah, no, I'm sure he definitely, he definitely likes, likes both of those schools. Attended Tulsa was a cheerleader there and then obviously wrote about OU until he kind of fell off the face of the earth slash found Ohio state Twitter. Uh, Anyways, um, (laughs) that's all we got for uh, Tulsa though. Uh, Looking forward to the game, looking forward to the weekend. I'm going to be, I'm going to be up there looking forward to it. Um, Looking forward to seeing the city and look, if you're from Tulsa and you're watching on YouTube. Put a couple comments in here. If other of you fans go see this, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they can take some of your suggestions and go go do cool things in in uh, T Town. So, yeah, I don't know. But Ty, any final thoughts before we, we uh, wrap this thing up?
1: No, hopefully uh, we look improved and uh, get a good performance this week.
0: Absolutely, just uh, keep building, keep growing. So, uh, hoping for. Uh, a three and O type of performance from OU out of this. So, all right, for me and Ty, this has been the schooner pod. We will see you coming up this Wednesday when we take on the weekend spread. Uh, Interesting week. Last week, a lot of good stuff happened. Um, And this week, the slate, not, not great. We're going to be upfront on that one. Not, not as great as last week. We got a little spoiled, but we're still going to have fun. Still going to be a great show. So make sure to tune in on Wednesday, seven 30 as well. And Yeah. Just, keep it tuned with the schooner pod. We'll keep pumping out that content and, uh, it'll be a good time. So anyways, y'all have a great rest of your week and boomer sooner, everybody.